It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Today it might feel like it's impossible to disappear. Our movements throughout our towns and neighborhoods are caught on ring cameras, CCTV, smartphones, and traffic cams. Every text message, voice call, cell tower ping, and check-in tells our phones exactly where we are and who we are talking to. We can find our iPhones, find our AirPods, find our friends, find our keys and pets with the touch of a button. But what happens when even that isn't enough? What if something happens where the cameras aren't recording? Or when our phones are off. On April 12, 2016, a 16-year-old girl was caught on surveillance camera in a local Tim Hortons. Her movements that morning were tracked by other cameras and through text messages and phone calls, but she still vanished. One minute, she was there, and the next, she wasn't. This is the disappearance of Michaela Bally, and this is True North True Crime. everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of True North, True Crime. Thanks for joining us. As most of you know, we are a self-funded and independent podcast. We bring you these episodes without the power of iHeartRadio or Wondery or the CBC. We research, write, record, edit, and market the podcast in our spare time. This includes talking with family members of victims and missing people. We also talk to law enforcement and scroll through endless court documents and news articles. This is all to say that sometimes we need your help, especially promoting the podcast by telling a friend about it or sharing it on your social media. Another small thing that helps is subscribing on your platform of choice or writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. 
It can be a one-time donation, or if you choose the $5 a month option, we will make you an honorary producer of the podcast. In this era of community-based support and crowdfunding, we honestly appreciate all of you for helping us to build this platform. We think it's really important that we tell these stories. This week, we would like to thank Blair Oliver Martin, Christine Patching, and Jesse Dwayne Ryan for buying us the coffee. You're all awesome. Thank you. We also know that hearing some of these stories we cover in the podcast can be challenging. We hope all of our listeners out there can debrief these stories safely and practice some much-needed self-care. Secondhand trauma is a real thing, and we want you all safe and happy, especially during these difficult pandemic days. So tonight we are going to be talking about the strange disappearance of Michaela Bally, a 16-year-old who went missing under suspicious circumstances from the small town of Yorkton, Saskatchewan in 2016. This story has gained a lot of interest and has been covered extensively in mainstream media. We chose to cover it because the five-year anniversary of her disappearance was on April 12th, and we felt the story could use a bump. We have put this episode together using publicly available news articles, as well as some verified online posts, and the website bringmikaylabollyhome.com. Before we get into this episode, we do want to acknowledge that there are a lot of posts online that paint some friends and family members in a less than favorable light. A lot of it kind of borders on defamation. We are not going to present any of that in this episode. Based on our research, none of that helps us to find Michaela. So we are just going to present the facts and, at the end, a couple of common theories. We are very aware that the family has had to deal with negativity online, and we certainly do not want to add to that. So here are Michaela's details. At the time of her disappearance, Michaela is described as a 16-year-old girl. She has blue eyes and long ash blonde hair. She stands 5 foot 2 inches tall and weighs 114 pounds. She was last seen wearing blue jeans, a burgundy jacket with a teal infinity scarf. She wore embroidered, burgundy suede boots, and was carrying a blue plaid backpack that appeared quite full. Anyone with any information is asked to contact 911. This case takes place in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Yorkton is situated on what is considered Treaty 4 territory, which is the original lands of the Cree, Ojibwe, Soto, Dakota, Nakota, Lakota, First Nations, as well as the homeland of the Métis Nation. In modern day, Yorkton is the sixth largest city in the Prairie Province of Saskatchewan. It has been named one of the best small towns to live in the country. It has a population of just under 20,000 people, accessible housing prices, low property taxes, along with its proximity to major cities in Saskatchewan, makes it very appealing. The town has a pretty thriving art scene and culture, and it's generally perceived as a safe place Although, in 2018, it did rank 13th on a list of Canada's most dangerous cities in Maclean's magazine. This ranking has been highly criticized uh, as being false by city politicians. There's definitely some mixed messages out there about Yorkton with regards to safety. Uh, One list says it's a great place to live, and another list says it's potentially a dangerous place to live. Yorkton has a growing economic base. The main economy driver is the agriculture and food processing industry with food processing plants, grain elevators, and manufacturing facilities. If you have a chance to search images of Yorkton, it seems like a pretty idyllic small farming town. So Michaela Bally was born in Regina, Saskatchewan on February 17, 1999. 
She lived in Yorkton, Saskatchewan with her mom and her younger brother and sister. She also had a very close relationship with her aunt and her grandmother. She enjoyed music and played the violin and accordion. She'd also recently taken to a love of acting. Michaela was a grade 11 student at Sacred Heart High School. This is a Catholic faith-based school with an enrollment of about 400 students who are in grades 9 through 12. She had a pretty tight-knit group of friends in grade 9. There were about 10 of them in her crew of friends, but that had gotten smaller as they went along in their high school journey. She was also a big fan of the Hunger Games book series and was known to play the video game League of Legends. Her other interests included landscape photography, which she sent into local news outlets. She loved her dog, which was a poolie named Angel. Michaela is considered kind and loving. She was also quiet and reserved, but that didn't stop her from being popular. She was trusted amongst her friends and they would often talk to her about their problems and she would listen and give advice. She also didn't seem to have any major issues at school, and she had a good attendance record. Socially, she was dating, she had an ex-boyfriend, and they still remained friends after they broke up. She had also started talking to people, including possibly some older men and boys, online using Snapchat, WhatsApp, and the encrypted communication app, Kick. Okay, we are now going to get into the timeline from April 11th and April 12th, 2016. It is a little confusing, so we're going to be using a CBC article titled, I Need Help, written by Alicia Bridges and Victoria Din. This article is from February of 2019, and from what I can tell, it contains the most up-to-date details on the case. We are going to start with April 11th, 2016, the day before Michaela went missing. So on April 11th, 2016, the day before Michaela went missing... She hopped into a car with a group of her friends, Shelby, Oksana, and one other girl, and they were going to hit up a fast food restaurant for lunch. In their statements to the police, Michaela's friends said they remember her talking during lunch about going somewhere. Maybe Moose Jaw or Prince Albert. Yeah, Moose Jaw and Prince Albert are other small towns also in Saskatchewan. Some of Michaela's other classmates recalled her saying she was going to Regina for a vacation with her family. Shelby thought maybe she also said Saskatoon. Shelby told police she remembered Michaela talking about a boy named Josh. But when she tried to ask Michaela about him on April 11th, Michaela didn't respond. Another friend named Amy, who wasn't at the fast food lunch, said Michaela had told her a man named Christopher was coming to Saskatchewan to meet her. In the days before her disappearance, Michaela had talked about leaving town or going on vacation. But her friends just thought maybe she was dreaming or fantasizing the way teens do about leaving their small town. They actually used to talk to each other about moving to a bigger city like Saskatoon or Regina, where there were more things for young people to do and better places to shop. After the fast food lunch with Oksana and Shelby, Michaela went back to school for a Christian ethics class. Her teacher later told police Michaela seemed upset during class. At 4.35 p.m. after school was over, Michaela sent a text message to Oksana asking for a ride to the bank the next day, adding it was really important. Between 5.30 and around 6 p.m., Michaela called TD Bank customer service three times. She checked her account balance and transferred $25. Between 8.50 p.m. and 9.30 p.m., she sent text messages to an ex-boyfriend as well as some friends. 
So police can use TELUS phone services data from cell phone towers to see who a person sent or received messages from and at what time. But the company does not retain any information from the message, like they can't get the actual body of the message. Investigators have to rely on friends and family to provide copies of those texts to see what's inside. Also, there are no records of texts or calls that are being sent on encrypted apps or voice over IP apps like WhatsApp or Kik. So those won't show up on your phone bill statements. Those are privately done phone calls that the police can't trace. In one text that evening, Michaela told Amy that she needed help, but she didn't respond when Amy asked why. Michaela also messaged Shelby about a boy. The ex-boyfriend told police that Michaela also sent him a message that night and that she said she was unhappy and thinking about going to Regina for a couple of days. So that about rounds up April 11th. Seems like a pretty normal teen day. But there are some red flags that we can see now with the power of hindsight. I'm sure a lot of small town kids talk about going to big cities. But now with the context of Michaela going missing, perhaps those statements have more weight. So let's move on to April 12th, 2016. At approximately 6.41 a.m., Oksana got a text message from Michaela that read, Can you take me to the bank? Oksana responded, The bank doesn't open till like 8 or something. Just a word about Michaela's bank account. Not long before her disappearance, Michaela had told Oksana that she had about $5,000 in the bank. Unverified accounts have stated that Michaela had stated that she would soon be getting $5,000. Police said bank statements showed Michaela had nowhere near that much money. Her mother, Paula, recalls the following about that morning. That morning, nothing was out of sorts in our home. It was an absolutely average day. So we got up, Michaela and I get up around the same time. We get ready. We often do our hair and makeup in the bathroom together. We just share about our day and chit-chat and maybe listen to some tunes and grab some breakfast. There's just nothing in my mind that stands out as it being different than any other day. Her aunt, Rhonda, recalls Michaela walking out the door to go to school, saying, Bye, auntie. I love you. And that was her last words to her aunt. Michaela's grandmother told RCMP she dropped Michaela off at school around 8.10 a.m. The school Wi-Fi network showed Michaela logged on at about 8.08 a.m. At 8.21 a.m., Michaela put a binder inside her locker. Police said the binder had nothing of significance in it. At 8.26 a.m., Michaela left the school through a back entrance. When Michaela didn't turn up to class, her ex-boyfriend texted her to ask why. As Michaela wrote her reply, she was already on the other side of town. It's not clear what path she took when she left the school that morning, but she was soon captured by surveillance camera at the Super C convenience store. It recorded her walking along the railroad tracks until she left the frame of the camera. Michaela was next seen on surveillance at the local TD Bank. She arrived before the bank opened. From 8.51 a.m., surveillance footage shows her talking on the phone while she waited for the doors to open. She ends the call and approaches a teller when a worker slides open the shutters at 8.55 a.m. This phone call at the bank didn't register on her TELUS account. In fact, not a single call she made throughout the day went through TELUS, meaning they likely took place through apps. Incidentally, police had to wait 10 months to gain access to her social media accounts through the U.S. companies and authorities. We've seen this 
so many times with missing persons cases. It's incredibly frustrating, especially when it's a child or the family knows that foul play is possible. Michaela withdrew $55 from the bank and then headed to Terry's Pawn and Bargain, where she arrived at 9 a.m. She approached the owner, who was just doing his morning routine at the shop. Michaela apparently wanted to get a silver ring assessed, according to the owner. The owner apparently said that um, silver doesn't really have great value, so he said it wasn't even worth um, the time to take a look at it and make an offer. The owner went on to say that she was quiet and didn't seem to be in any distress at all, and he said that she eventually left the store. Uh, She wasn't upset or anything that he didn't make an offer on the ring. She just left and started heading south. Surveillance footage from the local home hardware shows Michaela walking down the sidewalk toward a combined Tim Hortons and Wendy's. There were two cameras in the restaurant. Footage shows Michaela using cash to buy a hot drink, then sitting in a booth opposite the glass counter. She is facing away from the main entrance and appears to be using her phone. Michaela sits there for the next 13 minutes. The stuffed backpack she had been carrying since she left school was sitting on the table next to her. This backpack is like really full, by the way, like bursting at the seams full. And this was odd. One of her friends later said that Michaela usually carried a purse to school, not a backpack. Michaela turns intermittently to look at the doors behind her. At one point, she appears to take her phone apart, put it back together, then start using it again. This, to me, is interesting. Was it a battery issue? or perhaps she was putting a new SIM card inside the phone. At 9.23 a.m., she grabs her bag and walks out of the restaurant through one exit, then turns and walks back through the restaurant to exit through the other door. She walks north, past the surveillance camera at Home Hardware, until she is out of view. Michaela then reappears on the Home Hardware camera at 9.42 a.m., emerging from behind a giant tiger store and heading back towards the Tim Hortons. She has her phone up to her ear as she walks inside the restaurant at 9.49. Again, there is no record of that call. This time, Michaela sits at a different booth, closer to the window and facing the door. Her call ends, and for the next 10 minutes, she appears to be waiting, either sending messages or browsing on her phone and looking out the window periodically. She puts her headphones in at 10.03 a.m., And then at 10.12 a.m., she sends the text message to Shelby that read, Hey, I need help. Then she sent a text to Shelby saying, Never mind, I figured it out. Michaela is on and off her phone six times over the next half an hour or so. At one point, she grabs her bag while talking on the phone and leaves the restaurant. But less than two minutes later, she walks back in and sits back down in the same booth. During one of the phone calls at 10.39 a.m., she looks around almost as if she's looking for the person she is talking on the phone to. At 10.43 a.m., she is off the phone again. She leaves her seat and approaches an older lady sitting at a table near her booth. Police later spoke to that woman. She told them Michaela had asked her for help renting a hotel room. The woman said she was not sure if Michaela needed money or just needed someone old enough to book the room. The woman said no and told the police Michaela did not specify where she wanted the hotel room. The footage then shows Michaela going back to her seat and making another phone call. Michaela leaves the Tim Hortons within a minute or so. Again, she appears to be talking on the phone. At 11.35 a.m., as she walked westbound back towards her school, Michaela sent Shelby another text message that read, 
I'll see you at lunch. So by 11.59 a.m., Michaela was back at Sacred Heart High School. She told two students that she was going to take a bus for a vacation to Regina. One of them later told police Michaela might have had two cell phones with her at the time. Three minutes later, so at 12.02 p.m., a surveillance camera over the front door of the school catches Michaela walking back out the school doors. So that camera, of course, catches her walking away from the school as well. Now, this sort of ends any CCTV footage about Michaela, but we do have some eyewitnesses. An employee of the Yorkton bus depot told police she remembered seeing Michaela sometime between 10 a.m. and noon. The employee said Michaela wanted to know what time the bus was leaving. When the attendant told her 5 p.m., Michaela declined to buy a ticket. Michaela was also spotted at the Trail Stop restaurant, which is a diner-style eatery connected to the bus depot. The server said that Michaela sat alone at a table and ordered a poutine. Now, the time frame on her being at the restaurant has shifted a little, but it is officially reported on her missing posters as 1.45 p.m. At 3.40 p.m., Michaela's grandmother waited in the parking lot of the school for her granddaughter to come out. She never did. At 4 p.m., Michaela missed her violin rehearsal. Her mother reported her missing just before 8 p.m. By 7 a.m. the next morning, Michaela's cell phone was turned off and has never been turned back on. Okay, so that's the timeline, but there are some other strange incidents we need to walk through. So let's do that after a quick break. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we are back. So before the break, we laid out the timeline of Michaela's known movements on that day. Most of this is corroborated by surveillance cameras, some cell phone records, statements from friends, and some eyewitness accounts. But there were also some other events and happenings that may appear suspicious. Let's walk through those now. As we mentioned, Michaela had been chatting with some people, men specifically, that she had met online. In February, before Michaela's disappearance, she received a delivery during drama class. Apparently, a plain box filled with a bouquet of roses had been delivered to her at school in front of her classmates. The way they were boxed, it appeared to be an online order and not from a local florist. The police did investigate this lead. They have identified the person who delivered them. 
RCMP state that the person has nothing to do with Michaela's disappearance. They have not released this person's name or their relationship to Michaela. Police did locate and speak to some people who could be considered persons of interest in the case. Michaela had been messaging on Instagram with someone from North Carolina named Christopher. His name was given to the police by her friends. One friend stated that Michaela told her that Christopher was coming to Yorkton. Michaela's ex-boyfriend told police he heard that Christopher was visiting the province to see his mother in Saskatoon. CBC News contacted a man who said he was the Christopher who Michaela had been talking to online. He sent a brief emailed response to CBC when they requested an interview. According to the CBC, the email read as follows, quote, All I can provide for you is that she suffered with self-harm a few years back. Back then, I was helping people who struggled, and I encouraged her to fight against self-harm and to look towards God. Saskatchewan RCMP said they identified and interviewed Christopher, as did police in the United States. His house was also searched by police. RCMP said there's no evidence Christopher was in Canada when Michaela disappeared. Michaela's friends also mentioned another boy to the RCMP. She had been talking about someone named Josh before her disappearance. Police did not have a last name for Josh, but interviewed multiple people with that name as they came across them in the investigation. One of those people was from the town of Churchbridge, about 60 kilometers southeast of Yorkton. CBC has reported that they contacted a person named Josh and connected with him via social media. He would state, I only talked to her once a week when she was in Churchbridge at this youth thing. Then we were out of touch for a few years, and then she found my number and we talked a bit more, but then stopped again. He said they stopped talking at least three years before Michaela went missing. RCMP stated that after talking with Josh, there was no indication to believe that Josh was involved with anything that happened to Michaela. As we mentioned earlier, Michaela had an ex-boyfriend who she went to school with. Michaela seemed to have a good relationship with him after they broke up, and it should be noted that he has an alibi as he was in school. He has also been helping police the whole way through the investigation, and his name has not been released. The man believed to be Michaela's biological father was also interviewed by the RCMP. He doesn't live in Yorkton, but he does live in Saskatchewan. He had his house searched and gave DNA samples. He is not a suspect in the case, according to the RCMP. So a customer at the diner that Michaela got poutine at recalled seeing her leaving the diner with a man. She said she was going out the door with some big guy carrying bags, white bags. The customer told police Michaela was carrying a small white bag. She also helped police make a sketch of a tattoo on the man's left arm, a cross with red flames coming off of it. The sketch was released to the public. So obviously this felt like a really big lead. We've got somebody with her in her last known location. We know his tattoo. It's a very obvious tattoo. However, a man came forward to say that he thought he might be the person the police were looking for. RCMP questioned him and concluded he was simply holding the door for Michaela when she was at the bus depot. His name was never released. So those are the persons of interest that have been written about in reputable news outlets. But online people have really examined the surveillance footage from the Tim Hortons. People dissect every look from other customers as they enter and exit the Tim Hortons. There are times when it seems like Michaela looks up at the door as it opens as if hoping to see someone. 
Some of these people look back and nod at her. But this is a small town, Tim Hortons. People are friendly. After three weeks, the Yorkton RCMP handed the Michaela Bally file over to the General Investigation Section, a dedicated unit that investigates major offenses. Those officers spent hundreds of hours watching surveillance videos provided by local businesses to piece together Michaela's final known movements. So you'll recall that in the Tim Hortons, Michaela asked an older woman if she could help her book a hotel. Saskatchewan RCMP say they contacted all of the hotels in Yorkton and connecting cities, but unfortunately, they didn't get the piece of information from the older woman until three months after her disappearance. So by the time they were able to do this, for most hotels, it's impossible to say if a young blonde girl had been staying there. However, RCMP said that nobody remembered seeing Michaela and she didn't appear in any surveillance videos. RCMP have stated that they did not canvas hotels in larger cities like Regina or Saskatoon. In August 2017, the RCMP sent its dive team to search Hopkins Lake. The RCMP divers did not find anything relating to Michaela. Police say they have investigated more than 600 tips since Michaela disappeared. RCMP said there is still nothing to indicate Michaela's disappearance was a homicide, and police are still holding on to hope that she will be found alive. An RCMP spokesperson was quoted as saying, Do we have suspicion that something happened to Michaela that wasn't good? After all this time, I would say yes. Do I believe that Michaela is out there alive and doing well? She could be. So that's an overview of the investigation and known persons of interest. Let's get into some suspected sightings and theories after a quick break. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined some of the investigation and some of the persons of interest who have been cleared. We're now going to talk about some sightings as well as some theories and strange happenings online. So over the years, there have been sightings of Michaela reported as far away as the UK, Colombia, and also on a cruise ship. There have been reports from various areas in the United States, specifically the Pacific Northwest. There have also been sightings in Vancouver and Penticton, British Columbia. Sadly, none of these turned out to be credible. One sighting did stand out, though. It happened in Edmonton, Alberta in March of 2019, but was not reported until August of 2019. This sighting took place outside of the High Run Club. From what I've read online, this seems to be a larger sports bar with pool tables and TVs, and it's also in close proximity to a casino. A man called the tip hotline on August 8, 2019, and said he believes he spoke to Michaela outside the High Run Club. He didn't know Michaela was missing until he came across a recent social media post about her. The witness said that she was just standing outside of the High Run Club and that he spoke to her for a few minutes. Part of what stuck out for him was that it didn't seem like she belonged in that area. Um, He said that she seemed really sweet, but also quite naive. It was this description of the woman's personality, more than a description of her physical appearance, that made her mom hopeful the woman was Michaela. The High Run Club in Edmonton does have security cameras, but there is no footage of the incident because of the amount of time that had passed. While this tip did not result in finding Michaela, it did result in multiple tips coming in from other towns in Alberta. Michaela has been added to the Interpol website. For those that don't know, 
Interpol is the international police organization charged with finding missing people and criminal offenders around the world. Michaela's file is considered a yellow notice, which is a global police alert for a missing person. It is published for victims of parental abductions, criminal abductions, or unexplained disappearances. The yellow notice can also be used to help identify a person who is unable to identify themselves. There was also another odd occurrence that we should highlight. It happened with Michaela's Snapchat account. Her friend Shelby sent Michaela a message through Snapchat on the day Michaela disappeared. Somebody opened that message about three months later. Shelby also sent a message to Michaela from their grad ceremony. Two years later, it hasn't been opened. So we are now going to talk about some theories. We are just going to talk about two theories that seem plausible. One is that Michaela ran away. The other is that she has been abducted and has met with some sort of foul play, whether that be human trafficking or other. As most of you who listen to this podcast with any regularity, you know we do not judge people for mental health issues, addiction issues, or challenges around depression or self-harm. We do talk about these issues in order to understand risk factors that exist. We now want to outline briefly some factors that may be at play in Michaela's life. Michaela's known social media accounts have not been active, but some remain searchable. One Instagram account under her name has hundreds of followers but no photos, which may indicate that those photos have been deleted. The About Me bio reads, Goodbye. Another Instagram account contains mostly selfies, pictures with school friends and her siblings, and snippets of her daily life. In one post from March 1st, 2016, she shared a screenshot of her Snapchat profile urging other users to connect with her. Looking for Snapchat friends because I have none in real life. Add me. Please don't be a greasy fuck and send me gross-ass nudes. Just looking for a friend. Over the years since Michaela went missing, some online sleuths have discovered at least two more Instagram accounts that are alleged to be hers. Her alleged Instagram accounts are Mickey underscore dead space, the underscore world underscore today, MickeyGolf.39, and Michaela underscore swag tricks. In some of these Instagrams, the captions are signed off with the names Michaela or Marie. Now, from what I understand, it is not uncommon for some high school kids to share social media accounts with their friends. So that might explain the two-name sign-off. There are some troubling posts on these accounts about self-harm, suicide, and depression. One post on Mickey underscore Deadspace from 2013 reads, I'm sorry, guys. I know you are all done with me, so let's just say I'm recovered. I've caused you all enough trouble. I just want to shut down my IG and just disappear. The less people know about me and my problems, the less people get hurt. I'm okay. I'm recovered. It's all good. Another post from around the same time is an image that is like a mental health type meme that talks about what the human mind says to a person. The accompanying comment from Mickey underscore Deadspace says, This is exactly me. Hashtag suicide. Hashtag depressed. Hashtag given up. Hashtag give up. Hashtag the end. Hashtag kill. Hashtag my mind is dead. So it's clear that if these are indeed her posts, that there were maybe some sort of mental health challenges going on. Or... Maybe she was just caught up in that whole dark scene that teens seem to find in online communities. 
There are no shortages of these online, and we could do an entire episode on the damage that these communities do to kids. Another factor that can affect people is drug use. But there seems to be very little evidence that points to drug use. Two classmates told police they remembered her telling them she had the opioid oxycodone. One of them said Michaela showed them the pills when she was at school, but they were actually Accutane, a medication Michaela had to treat acne. Michaela may have struggled with her mental health, and like an increasing number of children and teens around the world, Michaela resorted to self-harm. Her missing persons file on Interpol's website even mentions a fair amount of scarring on her upper thigh from self-harm. So it's with these factors that we want to look at our theories, but I want to add here that evidence of some self-harm and sad posts on social media while troubling does not read as incredibly high risk. The more concerning risk factors that may be at play here are the messages with strangers over kick, and we may never know who or what those messages contain. So in the first theory we ask, did Michaela run away? She had a very full backpack instead of her usual purse. She had spoken to friends about possibly going away, She woke up early that day, skipped school, and went directly to the bank to take out $55. She was last seen in an area near a bus depot. She possibly inquired about getting a bus ticket, and she even talked to somebody about getting a hotel. So there are clearly a few factors here that would make this theory make sense. However, from what we can gather, Michaela had a good home life. She excelled in school. She didn't miss a lot of class. The police did not have a previous relationship with the family. There was no evidence of heavy drug use or any other signal of a home that someone would want to run away from. She just doesn't read like a high-risk kid. She also missed her graduation and many other things she had spoken about being excited about. Also keep in mind that Michaela would be 21 years old now. She is a person who is being searched for internationally. At some point as an adult, wouldn't she feel empowered to come forward and say, hey, I'm here, I'm alive, this is a choice that I made. But this has not happened. So this brings us to another theory. Did Michaela meet with foul play? So in this theory, Michaela intended to meet with someone that day and has now become a victim of foul play. The following evidence supports this theory. We know she was messaging with unknown people on kick. We know she made untraceable phone calls throughout the day. We know she withdrew money from her bank account. And we know that she said she was coming into $5,000. We know she asked a stranger to help her to book a hotel room. We know she inquired about a bus ticket. We also know that she was seen playing with her phone in a way that looked like she was maybe taking it apart, perhaps changing the SIM card to make her phone untraceable. So what happened? Perhaps Michaela had planned to meet someone, someone who had been grooming her over a period of time, Someone who taught her how to use encrypted apps to change SIM cards to keep his identity secret. On the day she went missing, it seemed like she was being sent to different locations. The Tim Hortons, the bank, the pawn shop, back to the Tim Hortons, and then the bus depot and the diner. And then ultimately, when she was finally out of view of surveillance cameras, she would go missing. In this theory, she met with the person who she was talking to perhaps with the promise of another life or love or money or adventure. Online relationships can seem so real because they happen in a bubble. And we all know that words hold power and can be intoxicating. Anyone can be who they want you to think they are. 
it is very plausible that upon meeting this person, she met with foul play. The fact that she has not been found makes a strong case for human trafficking or worse. This theory, as horrific as it is, seems more plausible than the runaway theory or any other theories that I've read online. Michaela's friends say her disappearance was completely out of the blue, even in hindsight. At first, some of her classmates thought she had run away. The longer Michaela is gone, the more they worry she may be dead. So because this case has garnered a lot of attention, it has also received a fair amount of online nonsense. We have read many defamatory posts about the family, and as grateful as the family is for all of the help that they've received, Michaela's mom has spoken out about some of the negative treatment they've received. In an interview, she said she has discovered that the public's interest is a double-edged sword, stating that there are many, quote, trolls and freaks who post various conspiracy theories online and twist the truth. As she continues to search for her missing daughter and looks after her other two kids, she said it's like a circus just outside, and it feels like sometimes that circus throws rocks through your window. There have been other issues as well. There have been fake missing pages created on Facebook, some of these looking to exploit Michaela's disappearance. There have also been some other strange occurrences. A Twitter account named at Hungarian Angel posted a pic of a dog with the caption, I finally have my first little angel. She is a poolie. I named her Treasure. And like we said earlier, Michaela had a dog, which was a poolie named Angel. This tweet and the account has since been deleted. On March 10th, 2021, another Twitter and Reddit user had a pretty well-researched theory that a TikTok user named at Michaela BDY is actually, in fact, Michaela Bali. The user has three lip sync style videos. All three were posted on the same day of December 4th, 2017. From what we understand, Michaela's family is aware of the TikTok user theory, and as of a month ago, we read that investigators are looking into it. Upon a brief look at the videos, there is a resemblance, and the name is definitely a strange coincidence. So we want to take a second here to talk about Kick and other apps that your kids might be communicating on. According to Michaela's friends, she had been communicating with people through those social media apps uh, like Instagram, Snapchat, and the anonymous app Kick. Police in Canada have warned parents that Kick is used by predators to groom young women, adding that it has fewer parental controls and allows strangers to contact strangers without any initial approval, such as agreeing to be friends. The FBI is actually looking at what role Kick may have played in the kidnapping of a 13-year-old girl. RCMP said police have to go through U.S. legal processes to get information protected by social media companies under U.S. privacy laws. This is something that investigators are dealing with more and more. And we know from the cases that we have covered that Facebook specifically can be very challenging to work with when a loved one goes missing. RCMP have stated that it, with some social media platforms and messaging apps that the information or data doesn't even exist anymore because it wasn't stored by the company or it was only retained for a short period of time before it's destroyed. We want to be very clear, though. Michaela Bali's disappearance was not her fault. It was not her family's fault, and it was not her community's fault. If Michaela was indeed abducted by a stranger, then that's whose fault it was, period. 
We can also add that the predatory nature of social media and social media companies has also played a role in creating unsafe online environments where predators do flourish. Our last episode focused on Terry Arnold, who thrived in anonymity. Think about what a monster like him would be able to do with high-speed internet and a hidden VPN or IP blocker. Michaela Bali was last seen in Yorkton, Saskatchewan on April 12, 2016. At the time of her disappearance, Michaela is described as a 16-year-old girl. She has blue eyes and long, ash-blonde hair. She stands 5 foot 2 inches tall and weighs 114 pounds. She was last seen wearing blue jeans, a burgundy jacket with a teal infinity scarf. She wore embroidered burgundy suede boots and was carrying a blue plaid backpack that appeared to be quite full. If you have any information on her disappearance, you can call 911 or your national or local police. Internationally, you can go to Michaela's listing on Interpol and report a sighting there at interpol.int or go to the bringmichaelaballyhome.com website for more information or to report a tip. At last we checked, there is currently a $40,000 reward for her safe return. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Our hearts go out to the Bali family, and we hope they get answers that they so deserve soon. This case has stuck with both of us for some time, which is why we wanted to cover it. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. Or if you feel like writing as a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, they sure do help with visibility. And we honestly just want to thank you all for helping us to build this podcast. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Alberta Bly, Cindy McDee, Giraffe 3000, Alyssa Santos, Anastasia, Ariel Elliott, Melanie E., and Kelly Donahue. We will be back next week with another episode of TNTC Shorts. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.